There's one day of the year when love is celebrated in abundance. Big Red Hearts passed to all of our friends, bags of the best chocolate consumed by the pound. Cards, candy, nice meals, surprise gifts. It's lavish and lovely and reminds us of all the good things. But what does love look like when it spills to every other day of the year? Maybe it's food banks always stocked, hard conversations over hot cups of coffee, holding the hand of a stranger, sticking it out through hard times, sitting in grief, it's not even yours, delivering hope through a simple card, laughter and goodwill, provision, protection, patience, forgiveness before it's asked, walking a mile in another's shoes. We know this kind of love because we saw it. Love is the son willing to hang on the cross, the God willing to die in our place, the father who had a plan to save his children from the moment he created us. We were always on his heart and still are every day of the year. Um, on this balmy negative 25 degree morning, we want to invite you all to stand this morning as we begin our worship time. And while we're doing that, we want to welcome those who are with us online this morning as well.
Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship, and it's so good to see everybody today. As we continue our morning of worship, we have the opportunity today to gather together at the Lord's Supper and uh, participate in communion uh, with one another. And uh, today when you came in, you should have received a communion cup from our ushers. Hopefully you have those. I'll invite you to uh, get those ready. And uh, in a moment, we will uh, lead you in taking both the bread and the juice uh, together. So this morning, I want to share some thoughts with us to just prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, I came across a great passage this week in Psalm chapter 130. Psalm 130, some great words that speak to what we have in our salvation. Uh, King David, obviously, the psalmist was writing these words uh, in the Old Testament before the Messiah had arrived. He was looking forward to the ultimate deliverance that God would provide for his people. Uh, We, of course, know and have experienced that reality in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. But I want you to listen to these powerful words and and let them be a meditation uh, in our hearts and our souls as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, this, this meal which reminds us of this great sacrifice that is ours, the gift that is ours uh, in Jesus Christ. The psalmist says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in this word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than a watchman waiting for the morning. More than a watchman waiting for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. I love that imagery, plentiful redemption. Not just any kind of redemption. With the Lord, there is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That was the hope that the Israelites were looking forward to. And that is the hope that we know has been fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who has come to redeem us in his plentiful redemption from all our iniquities. And it's that act, that amazing grace, that act of Jesus laying down his life for us as the perfect lamb of God, the infinite sacrifice, the once for all time sacrifice for sin. It's that act that we remember and celebrate today as we take the Lord's Supper. So I'm gonna get you, have you prepare your elements. I'm gonna invite uh, Paul Post to come and pray for the elements. After Paul prays, we're going to have a time of reflection. Uh, Our worship team will play some music quietly in the background. And I want to invite you just to pray and go before the Lord. Prepare your hearts. Uh, If there's anything in your life that you need to confess, uh, you can take this time to do that. And again, if you are here with us today, maybe it's your first time visiting, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us in this celebration of communion. This is a meal for all believers to participate in. And we're glad you're here and we invite you to join us. Paul, would you please pray for the elements for us? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning with thankful hearts. We reflect on what Jesus did. He came down 
willingly from heaven, lived on this earth, and then gave up his body to be uh, mistreated and uh, uh, tortured and then to sh die on the cross to cover our sins. And Lord, we just can't thank you enough that fact that we can have a relationship for, with you because of what Jesus did. So we ask forgiveness for those many sins and we thank you that we can come before you and celebrate this great uh, gift that you gave us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Amen. Well, friends, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer and invite the Lord to be with us as we continue our worship and the study of his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence together today to worship you, to sing your praises, to celebrate your amazing grace. And now, Lord, as we prepare to once again, turn to your word and look at your truth and be encouraged and equipped in our faith. We just pray, Jesus, that you will be with us, that you will humble our hearts before you, that you will give us your grace of supernatural wisdom and insight to receive your word, to apply it to our hearts, to be encouraged by the truths that we're going to look at this morning. We just thank you, Lord, for our church. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping together. 
We thank you, especially today, as many of our ABFs and children's ministry and student ministry are regathering on Sunday morning for the first time, and other friends are coming back to worship once again in person with us. We're so thankful, Lord. And we just commit this day to you. We ask that you would continue to watch over and protect and bless our church. We pray all these things in your great name. Amen. Well, friends, it is a truly exciting day today uh, for our church family. I've been uh, really looking forward to this now for about a month since we made these plans to uh, begin regathering on Sunday mornings. During our worship time, I was out walking the halls, visiting some of our adult Bible fellowship groups, and there's just so much enthusiasm and excitement as people are getting back together again. Our, our children's classrooms are full with life and excitement, and what a joy it is to, to be back together again. So thank you for your support. I know this has been a, a long year. I, I ran into a woman down the hall a few minutes ago. She, she said, Pastor Jason, this is my first time back to church in a year. What a great, great joy that is to be back together as a church family. And again, friends, we're just hoping that we're going to continue to be able to do more and more. Let's keep praying that God would just continue to eradicate this COVID threat, that uh, we would have uh, greater freedom, uh, uh, an, an increase in our faith and courage as we come to worship. And uh, we just pray that uh, this will be an ongoing blessing for our church to, uh, to be back together again. And of course, we want to welcome those of you worshiping with us online today. We know many of you are still worshiping at home, and we love you too. Uh, we pray that you would be uh, incredibly blessed as you join us uh, for worship on Sunday morning uh, online, through your computer, through your TV, whatever medium it is. We just uh, convey our love to you and continue to let you know that you too are uh, a wonderful, joyous part of our church family. Well, speaking of joys, friends, I got some uh, cool news to share with you this morning. As you'll see on the platform here, we've got two white roses today. Uh, we put a white rose up to celebrate whenever somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's uh, a, a, a truly the greatest thing we can celebrate as followers of Christ. And this past week, I got an email on Monday morning from a brother in Christ who uh, shared with me that uh, after listening to Greg Speck's sermon last week, uh, he he prayed with Greg to recommit his life to the Lord, that he had walked away from the Lord for a season and hadn't been following him faithfully, and, and he prayed to recommit his life to Christ, and so, man, we're celebrating that brother's faith today. And then uh, earlier this week, Wednesday, I uh, had another brother in Christ call me and say, Pastor Jason, could we, could we meet? And he came in and he shared that he had been wrestling with uh, his salvation, wrestling with his security in his salvation, uh, felt like you know he had some things in his past that were maybe keeping him from his walk with the Lord. And so we just prayed together. Uh, I shared with him the gospel. I shared with him the promises that are ours in Christ. We prayed together. And uh, he once again, and recommitted his life to Jesus Christ. So let's give thanks to the Lord for these uh, two brothers and their commitment of faith. Such a joy. Well, as I mentioned, we're so excited about uh, regathering here at church. And as we are regathering, uh, and more and more is happening here around the church, 
there's also great need for us as the body of Christ to, to come and support the work that's happening. I know Lisa and Kelly are uh, continually looking for volunteers to serve in our children's ministry areas. Uh, we have needs on our welcome team for ushers and greeters and, and uh, next steps desk helpers, people to serve in the cafe. Uh, you know, friends, there's nothing greater than serving the Lord. And one of the easiest ways to serve the Lord is by getting plugged in here at church. And so if that's something you haven't done, I want to invite you to consider doing that, uh, to join one of our teams here on Sunday morning, whether it's serving, you know, once a month on a hospitality team as an usher, or maybe it's helping out in the nursery or with the kids. Uh, it's such a blessing to be able to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ and to support the mission of uh, the work of Advance in the gospel. That's, that's why we exist as, as the church. And so I want to invite you to do that. I'm also excited again, as I mentioned, about our Adult Bible Fellowships regathering today. Uh, if you haven't ever participated in an, an Adult Bible Fellowship group, that's another thing I would invite you to consider doing, especially this season now as we're regathering and reopening more of our ministries. Our Adult Bible Fellowships are just a great way to connect with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ for growth, for prayer, for support, for encouragement, to study God's Word together. So many benefits of being in community with other believers. And so I'd encourage you guys to consider, uh, we have Adult Bible Fellowship groups meeting during both services on Sunday mornings now, 8.50 and 10.30. Great ways to continue to plug in, to make uh, friendship, friendships, to grow in your faith. So, uh, so again, I'd invite you to consider doing that. Well, this morning we're going to be starting a new sermon series here at Lakes Free. A uh, series that I've been looking forward to for a while now. Uh, the series is titled, You Lost Me. And we are going to be looking over the next six weeks at some of the common reasons people give for why they turn their back on Christianity. Uh, this is a series about people who have considered Christ or maybe even followed Christ for a season, maybe even sat in these chairs here in our sanctuary with us but for various reasons have decided that Christianity is no longer for them and, and they've walked away from their faith. And, and there are a lot of reasons people give for, for why they walk away from their faith and, and from following Christ and from participating in the life of the church. And, and over the next six weeks, we're going to look at some of these reasons. Today, for example, we're going to look at the topic, the objection that church is boring. Christianity is irrelevant. What, what difference does this make? I just don't find any joy or passion or meaning in it. That's a common reason people give for why they walk away from their faith. We're, we're going to look at other topics as we go forward in this series. We're going to look at the question of doubt. And is it okay to have doubts as a Christian? Is it okay to wrestle with your faith and to have questions and maybe not have all the answers? And is it safe to be in a church when that might be where you are spiritually today? Wrestling with your faith and, and not sure and full of questions. Is, is church a safe place? We're going to look at popular issues in our culture that often cause people to walk away from their faith. Questions like, is the church anti-science? How do we understand science and the Bible and faith and God's revelation that we see in nature? How do we understand and correspond these things? And we're going to look at topics like sex. What does the Bible teach us about sex? What was God's will and plan for human sexuality and 
How can we explain that to a culture in a loving and winsome way, a culture that has turned its back on God's standards for human sexuality? We're going to deal with these tough topics, these tough issues. We're going to look at issues like, is, is the church and Christianity oppressive? Is it, is it exclusive? We're going to look at all of these common questions, charges, critiques, objections that often cause people to walk away from the church. I want to mention uh, on the back of your worship guide, there's a section where you can take notes each week, and we often have questions for discussion there on the worship guide. During this series, we've actually put together a study guide that has relevant Bible passages as well as questions for discussion for your own reflection. And you can pick these up at our Next Steps desk each Sunday morning during this series. Uh, Some of our Adult Bible Fellowship groups are going to be using these together for this series. Um, If you're watching online or if you prefer to access that online, you can also find that on our sermon site, on our sermon page uh, on the Lakes Free Church website. Well, this morning we're going to be begin this new series looking at the question of, is church boring? Some of you might be sitting out there thinking, I'm bored right now, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Is church boring? Is is Christian faith boring? Is, Is it relevant to our lives today? You know, that's an important issue to consider as we think about why we are followers of Jesus Christ and why we participate in this faith. One of my favorite things in the world to do, one of my, one of my favorite hobbies or, or recreational activities is, is playing tennis. I, I love playing tennis. In fact, uh, this week, uh, you know, I've been lamenting the, the winter and the cold season that we're in and not having access to the tennis courts outside. And this week, the Australian Open's been taking place. And uh, my daughter and I, you know, Australia's like 15 hours ahead of us. And so my daughter and I, we've been staying up late at night this past week watching some of the matches of the Australian Open. And uh, I, I love tennis. My, my daughter takes tennis lessons. I love watching her take tennis lessons and just seeing her play and enjoy the game. But uh, I, I love playing tennis. Uh, I love tennis so much, I actually have tennis rackets on my socks this morning. I mean, that's how much I like tennis. But here's the thing. If you would have asked me about tennis two years ago, I would have told you I thought tennis was like the most boring activity in all the world. I mean, if you would have talked to me about tennis two years ago, I would have been like, are you kidding me, tennis? Like, you, you actually like that? that? Like, that sport where all they do is they hit a little green ball back and forth over a net? I mean, seriously? And, and literally, friends, the last thing I would have ever considered doing, not just what I've never considered playing it, but the last thing I would have ever considered doing was actually sitting down in front of my TV and watching other people play tennis. Are you kidding? But you know something, friends? Over the last two years, that's changed. Over the last two years, tennis has taken on a whole new interest for me. I actually love tennis. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. And so the question that raises is, what changed for you, Jason? What changed from two years ago when you thought this was just a boring, routine, irrelevant activity to something that you're now excited and passionate about? I mean, enough so that you actually wear tennis racket socks on a Sunday morning. What changed? And friends, what changed for me was my perspective. What changed for me was my perspective on tennis. 
And how did that happen? Well, it started out with someone I loved getting engaged in the game of tennis. My daughter, Addie, as a seventh grader, joined the junior high tennis team here at Chisago Lakes. And when my daughter took an interest in tennis, well, obviously, I love my daughter, and I care about my daughter, and so I wanted to support what she was doing. And even though I thought it was absolutely stupid, I decided to go and watch her play tennis. I decided to go with her to the courts and and help her learn how to hit a tennis ball and hit against the wall and learn her game and her strokes. And because I loved Addie, I took an interest in tennis. And, and then Addie invited me to play tennis with her. And, and, and that further opened up my eyes and my interest in tennis. Playing with my daughter and hitting the ball back and forth and seeing her love for it and her joy in it and her enthusiasm in it gave me a greater love and joy and enthusiasm. And then I met other people who played tennis. I met others who knew even more about tennis than I did, and and they taught me about the equipment, and they taught me the the differences and different kinds of rackets and and different strokes and how to hit the ball and how to make the ball move certain ways. And, And as I met others who knew more about tennis than I did, it actually began to expand my interest and joy in the game. And the more I played with my daughter and the more I interacted with these other people who were involved in tennis, the more I began to appreciate the game of tennis. I began to see the fruit of my practice. I began to see the difference it makes going out to the court every other day with my daughter hitting balls. Not only was she getting better, but I was getting better. And I actually was able to compete with other adults who had been playing tennis a lot longer than me. And all of this began to expand my interest and my enjoyment. So much so that I started watching other people play tennis. I started getting joy, not in playing it myself, but also in watching other people play. My daughter and her teammates and and even professional tennis players on television. I started taking an interest in, in enjoying watching others play. And now today, here we are two years later, and I would call myself a passionate tennis fan. I I love tennis. I mean, if I have a free afternoon on a nice day, one of the most quick favorite things to do, call my daughter up. I'm going to be home from work. Let's go play some tennis together. Call a buddy up. Hey, you want to meet us at the tennis courts? We're going to go play some tennis. I like tennis so much today, friends, that I've actually started coaching others to play tennis and introducing others to the game of tennis. But it was all about perspective. My perspective on the sport of tennis was completely revolutionized. It changed everything. Now, sadly, this morning, I think there are a lot of people in the church and in our culture that look at church and Christianity and and a walk with Christ the way I used to look at tennis. Maybe even some of you this morning, when you think about following Jesus Christ, when you think about coming to worship on a Sunday morning, when you think about something like a small group or a Bible study or an adult Bible fellowship or being a part of a mission trip, you think, why would I ever do that? You think boring, you think irrelevant, you think that's the last thing I'd want to do. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to try to help us 
have a perspective shift when it comes to our vision of what Christianity is all about. I, I want to encourage you to, to shape and shift your worldview when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ and what it means to walk with him and follow him and have a relationship with him. What it means to be a part of the church, the community of faith and fellow believers. I want to help us get a new perspective on these things so that instead of viewing church and faith as something that's just boring and irrelevant to us, that we begin to view church and faith and following Christ as something that brings us joy and life and excitement. This morning I want to share with you five principles. Five principles that have revolutionized my view of Christianity. Principles that I hope and pray will, will also help you to experience a whole new view of Christianity. We're, we're going to look at five principles this morning for a passionate faith. Five Ps. Five Ps that can revolutionize your understanding of Christianity. These are five Ps that I promise you if you put these into practice in your life, if you begin to put these principles at the center of your life, not only will you never be bored in church again, but you'll never be bored in life again. Five principles for a passionate faith this morning. Principle number one, you need to know the right person. You need to know the right person. Friends, if you don't know what Christianity is all about, and if you don't know, and when I talk about no, I'm not talking about intellectually, no, I'm talking about a heart knowledge, an intimate personal relationship with the one who is at the center of everything Christianity is about. If you don't know that person, friends, you're never going to experience joy, enthusiasm, or passion in the Christian faith. You see, Christianity revolves and is centered upon a person named Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not just simply a historical figure who lived 2,000 years ago in some remote, faraway place, but Jesus Christ is our creator. He's our king. He's our savior. He's our good shepherd, as we've seen in recent weeks in the Gospel of John. He's the one who wants to walk in an intimate personal, life-giving, loving relationship with you, friends. And if you don't truly know Jesus Christ, you're never going to be passionate about a faith that revolves around him. I, I heard a story a while back about a woman who had gone to the local Barnes & Noble and she went up to the new release section of the bookstore and she found a book and saw the cover and the cover looked interesting and she read the back description of this book and sounded like an interesting book and so she, she went and she purchased this book and, and she took the book home that evening and she started reading and she got through the first chapter and I mean it wasn't just wasn't all that exciting, to be honest with you. And she started reading into the second chapter, thinking, you know, this has got to get better the more I get into this. And she got about two chapters into the book that first night. And before she went to bed, she put it on her bedside table, and it just, it just wasn't capturing her interest whatsoever. She thought, maybe I'll give it another try tomorrow. But a couple days went by, and, you know, she never bothered to pick up the book again. Well, this young lady, you know, she was single, and one of her friends ended up setting her up on a date, a blind date. 
And she went out on this date with this guy, and she met him at a local restaurant, and they had a great meal together. They had a great conversation. He was handsome. He was fun. He was just interested in her. I mean, it was, there was just sparks right away. There was an instant connection. And as they were talking together, this young woman discovered that this man was an author. And she asked him, well, what, what kinds of things do you write? Are you like a journalist? Or He's like, no, I, I write novels. I write books. And it turns out that the man she was having dinner with, the man that she was now attracted to and the sparks were flying with, it turns out that this man had written the book that she had purchased a week earlier. A book that she thought was dull and boring. A book that she had put on her bedside desk and hadn't picked up now in a few days. Well, at the end of the night, at the end of that date, guess what that woman did? She went home, and what do you think the first thing she did was when she went home? First thing she did is she ran to her bedside table and she picked up that book. And she started reading that book from cover to cover. She read the whole book. Then she goes online and she goes to Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and she looks up this guy's social media accounts and she read everything throughout his whole timeline. She, she wanted to know more about this man. Friends, what changed? What changed? This woman had fallen in love with the author. And suddenly this book that she thought was dull and boring was now the most exciting thing she had in her possession. She couldn't wait to spend time learning more about this man through his book and through his writing and through his social media pages. And as I thought about that story this week, friends, it reminds me that if we don't know the one upon whom our faith is centered... We're never going to experience joy and passion. I, I want to share with you this morning part of my own journey in coming to know Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge. I grew up in a Christian family. I, I, I knew all about the Bible. I knew all about apologetics and theology. But you know something? It wasn't until my early 20s that I truly came to know Jesus in a personal way. In, a, in an intimate fellowship, walking with me through my life each day kind of a way. When I was a, a freshman in college, the, the summer between my freshman and sophomore years, my dad was speaking at a camp out in California called Hume Lake Camp. My dad was a Christian apologist. He spoke often all around the world at conferences and camps and retreats and we were at Hume Lake Camp in California, and one of the speakers there that week who was speaking for the youth side of the camp, the high school side of the camp, was a man named Jay Cardi. Jay Cardi, one of my favorite Christian communicators of all time, he passed away just a few years ago. But Jay Cardi, if you, if you Google search him or look up his YouTube page, some of the greatest messages you'll ever come across. A man that God used to transform my faith. I went and I listened to Jay Cardi's sessions that week at Hume Lake Camp. I heard him share his testimony. I heard him share his story. And I remember Jay Cardi walking the teens at that camp through a simple gospel tool known as the Romans Road. Some of you may have heard of the Romans Road before. It's a series of passages through the book of Romans where you can walk somebody through what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. 
And at one of his sessions speaking to the teenagers, here was I, this, this college student, about to be a sophomore in college, who grew up in the Christian faith, who had, who had known all the answers about Christianity, but who had never truly surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ. And as Jay began to explain the Romans road, I began to have my eyes opened to who Jesus really is and all that he's done for us. Jay explained the reality of our sin, and Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. God in his holiness cannot stand our sin. He cannot look upon our sin, and because of our sin, we can never enter into his holy presence, and, and that's our fundamental problem as human beings, is this sin that separates us from God. But, but then Jay went on and he explained God's incredible love for us, and how, according to Romans 5.8, God demonstrates or proves his love for us. And how did he do that? He did it in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And I started thinking about the reality of my sin and, and the ways that I had rebelled against God, the ways that I had turned my back on God, the ways that I had been unfaithful to the Lord over the years and, and all the blessings God had given me and yet I had strayed from him so often and betrayed him so often and yet God demonstrated his love for me even while I was still a, still a sinner. Jesus came and he died for me. And then he explained in Romans 6.23 the incredible gift that God offers us. That, that while the wages of our sin leads to death, eternal separation from God for, forever. That's the penalty, the payment, the wage of our sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift that God offers each of us is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I started thinking about God's amazing grace and just how incredible it was that Jesus would come and he would die for me. And it was a free gift. It wasn't something that I could earn or work for or buy. He did this freely for me. And then Jay explained Romans 8, 1, this incredible promise. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great promise that is, friends. No condemnation. For those who know Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you once were. In Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. Friends, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. And then he shared that all of this is a choice that God gives each of us. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul tells us that if we'll confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And he goes on in verse 11, and he says, and you will never be put to shame. Now, friends, I had heard all of these verses numerous times as a kid growing up, and, and I don't know what it was about that particular summer, about that particular chapel, at that particular camp, from this particular speaker, but it was there that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the power of these truths. And I saw Jesus in a whole new light. And, and I understood Jesus not just simply intellectually as the one who claimed to be the savior of the world, but now I invited him into my heart. 
And God completely transformed my life all through this simple gospel presentation. I got a new vision of Jesus Christ that changed everything. And friends, I want to encourage you here this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ in that way, if you've never invited him into your heart and said, Jesus, look, at I, I want this to be not just intellectual head knowledge. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want an intimate, personal connection with you. Friends, if you don't have that, then I, I will not fault you for being bored because I would be bored with that kind of a faith. If your faith is simply intellectual and ritual and routine, well, of course you're going to be bored. But when you know, when you know the one upon who our faith revolves, Jesus Christ, when he's your good shepherd, when he sits on the throne of your heart, when he leads and guides you day by day, friends, that changes everything. So number one, if you're going to experience a passion of faith, you need to know the right person. The second thing I want to encourage you to think about this morning, the second principle for experiencing a passionate faith, you need to adopt the right posture. You need to adopt the right posture. Now, I know you might find this hard to believe, but there was a time in my life when I thought going to church was incredibly boring. In the mid-1980s, my family and I, when I was 10, 12 years old, that age range, junior high age, my family and I went to a church in Robbinsdale at Robbinsdale Armstrong High School called Church of the Open Door. Church of the Open Door was a fairly new church in the Twin Cities at this time, and it was a church that was rapidly growing, and God was using the ministry of this church in incredible ways. But I'll tell you something, as a junior high age kid, my parents taking me to this church on Sunday mornings was like the biggest drag you could ever imagine. You see, Church of the Open Door was known for two things. It was known for passionate worship and powerful preaching. Dan Adler, who's well-known worship leader with Heart of the City worship team, he was their worship director. And Dan Adler would lead the church in worship, incredible worship, but I'm not kidding you, their worship would go on for like an hour every Sunday morning. For like an hour, I'm like sitting there, it's like song after song after song, and as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old kid, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? When are they going to get around to the message? They would just keep worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. And then by the time the preacher got up to preach, Pastor Dave Johnson, who again was a powerful preacher, but man, I'm telling you, you want to hear a guy who could speak forever? I'm talking Dave Johnson here. I mean, you would worship for an hour, and then this guy would get up, and he would preach for another hour. And I'm sitting there, and my stomach's rumbling, and I'm waiting to go home and watch the football game, and, and this guy's going on and on and on, you know, and again, I mean, I, this guy would preach so long, I kid you not, he once did a series in the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, the Blessed Are passage, right? It's like 10 verses in the Bible. He preached on those 10 verses for two years, Friends, you want to know something? Today, I pay money to go to conferences for those very experiences. Hours of worship. Hours of passionate preaching. What changed? Well, what changed, friends, was as I grew and developed in my faith, I adopted a new posture. 
I learned to adopt a new posture in worship. I want to share with you three words this morning. I want you to write these down on the back of your notes. Write them in the cover of your Bible. If you will learn to embrace these three words and put these three words into practice, I promise you it will revolutionize your experience of church on Sunday mornings. What are these three words? Rejoice, revere, refocus. If you'll learn these three words and put them into practice each Sunday morning when you come to church, I promise you, you will never be bored ever again when you come to church on a Sunday morning. Rejoice, what is that all about? Rejoicing is about thanksgiving. Rejoicing is about thanksgiving. And so when I come to worship now, the first thing I do in the morning on my way to church on Sunday mornings or as I'm at home getting ready in the morning is I begin to prepare my heart for worship. I begin to adopt the right posture as I go to worship by rejoicing. And what does that mean? It means I give thanks. I start to give thanks for all the blessings God has given me. I start to think through the many things that God has done for me and provided for me and blessed me with. I I give thanks for my family. I give thanks for my wife and my kids. I give thanks for for the home he's provided us. I give thanks for uh, a great church family that I get to go and be with that morning. I give thanks for all of the blessings that God has given me. And in rejoicing, friends, that prepares my heart to come into God's presence for worship. And then after I rejoice, I begin to revere. And and what is revere, friends? To revere is to praise. And and so I first give thanks by rejoicing. Then I begin to praise God. I begin to adopt a heart's attitude of praise as I begin to think about who God is. As I begin to think about his majesty and his glory. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this God who holds a septillion suns in the palm of his hand. A God who knows all the stars by name. And a God who says he holds me securely in those very same hands. And I begin to have this heart's attitude of praise as I come to worship. And an expectation to praise as I go into worship. And then, and then I begin to refocus. And to refocus is all about our desires. What are the desires of your heart as you come to church on Sunday morning? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says this. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I begin to refocus my desires Along these lines that the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans 12, I I come to worship, and as I enter worship, I say to the Lord, God, my one desire today is to honor you. That's what I want more than anything. As I come to worship, I want to honor you, Lord. And then I pray, please, use this service to transform me and to further conform me to your will. And friends, God does that. God does that when I come into worship on Sunday mornings. But it's all about adopting the right posture. 
We rejoice, we revere, we refocus. And as we do those three things on Sunday mornings coming into church, it will revolutionize your experience of worship. You see, here's the bottom line. The bottom line when it comes to adopting the right posture is simply this. It's an easy question. Is your faith me-centered or is it he-centered? Why are you coming on a Sunday morning? Is your faith me-centered? I mean, are you coming to see what you can get out of this? And man, I sure hope the music is good today, and I hope the preacher is good today, and I hope the ABF has good treats and coffee. I mean, if it's all about me, friends, you're going to be disappointed consistently. But if the posture of your heart is he-centered if it's about rejoicing and revering and refocusing your desire upon him, that changes everything. See, see if your faith is me-centered, you're always going to be searching for the next high. But if your faith is he-centered, you're never going to come down. Because that's what we were created to experience a life that was focused upon him. So number one, we have to have the right person. Number two, we have to have the right posture. Number three, in order to experience a passionate faith, friends, we need to embrace the right priorities. We need to embrace the right priorities. I was talking to a friend recently who served in the Air Force for many years, and he was sharing a great story with me about his time in Operation Desert Storm. He was in a hangar taking care of one of the planes and there was a whole bunch of new recruits who had just come in about a week earlier, a bunch of young kids. And my buddy had been serving in the Air Force for years and years. You know, he was a tough, grizzled old veteran. And and, uh, these young punk kids had just come on board, you know, and they're all, you know, fresh-eyed. And, you know, and this one kid comes up to him one afternoon. And he comes up and he says, excuse me, sir. Um, When do we get a day off? Well, my buddy, I'm not kidding, he says, I grabbed the kid by the back of his collar. I took him outside the hangar, and I said, where do you think we are? I mean, look around you. What's going on? We're in a war zone here. You don't get a day off. You're going to be doing this for the next year until you go home. This is your reality. That kid needed a hard priority shift. And I would argue, friends, that one of the biggest problems in Christianity today is the reality of misplaced priorities as a result of our mistaken view of reality. We become oblivious to the reality of the war that's raging all around us. Friends, you know we are in a war today. You know we are in the midst of a spiritual battle for the hearts and souls and the eternities of human beings. The war is raging all around us. Just in this past year, I've had numerous friends go through rehab for drug and alcohol addiction. I've seen numerous marriages broken irreparably through divorce. I've seen believers who have left the faith. I've seen children and teens battling depression at alarming rates. 
All of us have watched as our society has been torn apart by racial and political divisions. We've got churches all over the country today that have been divided by a silly little piece of cloth. We've got Christian leaders falling prey to sexual sin. Friends, if you don't think we're in a war, wake up. We are in a war for the hearts and souls in eternity of men and women. The Apostle Paul explains this war to us in Ephesians chapter 6. He shares here in Ephesians chapter 6 three admonitions to help us keep our priorities straight. Let me read this passage for us. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is our enemy, friends. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul gives us three admonitions here in this passage. He says, number one, we need to know the enemy. Who is the enemy that we're up against? Paul tells us it's we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in the midst of a spiritual war, friends. Principalities and powers, the schemes of the devil who is against us. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John 10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Friends, if we don't know the enemy we're up against, we're in big trouble. And then Paul tells us we need to get equipped. And by getting equipped, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Why do we put on the armor of God? It's because we're living in a war zone. And sadly, too many Christians today, they want to put on the resort wear of God. They, they think, man, I prayed the prayer, I came to salvation, and now my life is just going to be all beaches and sun and chilling and relaxing. Friends, wake up. We don't put the resort wear of God on. We put the armor of God on. Why? Because we're in a battle right now. We get the resort wear later in eternity. But right now we got to get equipped for battle. And how do we gear up for battle? We gear up for battle through disciplines like worship and Bible study and fellowship with other believers and prayer. And these practices to the Christian are what basic training is to the soldier. Friends, a soldier doesn't go to the front lines. He doesn't go to the enlistment center and sign his name and then get shipped to the front lines. No, they send him 12 weeks of basic training where he gets equipment and gear and training so that he can be effective as a soldier. Why? Because he's being sent into a war zone. And friends, if you don't understand those realities for us as Christians, you're never going to understand what this is all about when we come to worship. 
It's about an opportunity to get equipped for the battle that we face each and every day. And then Paul tells us, thirdly, we need to live engaged. He says, be strong in the Lord. Stand firm. And friends, did you notice, of all the armor Paul lists, there's no armor mentioned for our backsides. There's no armor covering our backs. Why is that? It's because for the Christian friends, God calls us to be pressing the fight, taking the fight to the enemy, not living in retreat. You'll never find a bored soldier on the front lines. When you're in the foxholes and the bullets are flying and the bombs are blowing up around you, friends, you'll never find a bored soldier on the front lines. And maybe it's time for some of us to get engaged in the battle. Maybe your experience of Christianity is boring and irrelevant because your Christianity is boring and irrelevant. Maybe you've lost focus of the reality that we're in a spiritual battle here. Human lives are at stake. Souls are at stake for all of eternity. And maybe it's time for you to get your priorities straight, get equipped, and get engaged. What does that look like? It might be serving here at church. It might be sharing your faith with a family member, a friend, a neighbor. It might be serving out in the community in a parachurch ministry. But friends, we need to get engaged in the battle. Number four, we need to access the right power. This past week, I had a frustrating experience. My, I got home from work, and I saw my cell phone battery was almost dead, and I had meetings all night at church, and I was going to be home for about an hour, so I went and I plugged my cell phone into an outlet, and I went and ate dinner, and I hung out with my kids for a little bit, and then I went back to get my stuff to go to church, and I came back, and I noticed my phone was almost dead. I'm like, what in the world? I had it plugged in. It was charging. But no, it wasn't charging because in my house, we have a couple outlets that don't have any power. And of course, I plugged one of my chargers into one of these outlets that don't have any power. And I started thinking about how often we do that in our lives. Friends, where do you go to recharge? What fuels your life? Do you have an outlet that never fails? Just as our cell phones need a sure and constant source of power, so too do we as human beings. And the good news for us is God has given us that source of power in the Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in Jesus' last words to his followers, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power to be my witnesses throughout the whole world. Friends, do you believe that promise? Do you know that promise? One of the benedictions I often share at the end of our worship services comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. The apostle Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, that can be translated or even imagine, according to the power at work within us. What is that power? Again, it's the Holy Spirit at work within us. That empowers us to do more than we can even think or ask or imagine. Friends, do we believe that? Are we accessing that power on a daily basis? 
changes everything as you go through life, as you live out your faith. Number five, principle number five, we need to trust the right promise. This past week, as I was thinking about the reality of boredom, one of the thoughts that came to my mind was maybe God gave us boredom. Maybe boredom, in a sense, is really a gift from God. How is boredom a gift from God? Well, friends, I would argue that boredom can be a gift from God because it reminds us that this world is really not our home. You see, when we go through life and we start experiencing boredom with the things in this world, what it does is it reminds us that we weren't ultimately made for this world, were we? It's like C.S. Lewis once said in his great work, Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for another world. King David was a man who understood the reality that we were made for another world. In Psalm 1611, King David says that you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. That's eternity, friends. That's what we have to look forward to. That's God's promise for those of us who walk with him in faith and obedience is pleasures forevermore. And you see, when you come to recognize that this world is not your home and you embrace the promise of eternity, you'll quickly discover the freedom to live your life as an adventure for Jesus Christ. Not consumed with the cares of this world, but to live a life that's engaged in the world in service of the gospel. And there's no more exciting life than that. Like the great 19th, 20th century missionary C.T. Studd once said in a classic poem that he wrote, he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I die, how happy I will be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Friends, are you burning the oil of your lamp for the things of eternity? For the sake of eternity, for the sake of the gospel. I'll tell you something, if that's your heart's priority, if that's your motivation, it will revolutionize your experience of the Christian faith. To burn yourself out for the cause of the gospel. Friends, I want to tell you again this morning, having the right perspective changes everything. If you'll put these five principles into practice, it will revolutionize your experience of the Christian faith. The right person, the right posture, the right priorities, the right power, and the right promise makes all the difference. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. And I pray, God, that we would take these principles and apply them to our lives and that you would use these principles to transform our vision of what Christianity is all about, what church is all about, what living for Christ is all about, and that as we are transformed by these realities, Lord, that we would experience the joy and passion of living for you and walking with you and serving you because, God, there is no greater joy in this world that to be engaged in the mission of advancing the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And so God, instill in us a greater passion for those things. 
Help us, Father, to embrace these principles and to apply them, to live them and to share them and to be your people, transforming this world with the hope that's found in Jesus. We pray all this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. And as we are dismissed today, let me remind you as you make your way out of the sanctuary, our ushers will dismiss you from the back to the front. Uh, please keep good social distancing. We got more people here around church today. We want to continue to honor that goal. I want to leave you with these words from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.